Good morning, Johnny Turnside on commission from the Garth D Community Hall this morning for the many mentions that he's given them. Big shout out to Garth D. Um, it's so great to be with you this morning. Um, welcome um, from what I think was my grand's dining room table circa 1993. Um, and we are just I'm so excited to be with you this morning getting to share God's word. Um, we're going to be sharing from the Bible this morning. And I was just I was looking up some stats on the Bible this week. Do you know that the Bible has been the best selling book on every chart since it, since charts begun and they've had to take it out of the top spot to make it fair for other authors so that somebody else can be number one every now and again. They estimate that around five billion copies of the Bible have been sold um, across the course of history in 2,000 different languages. So it must be worth a read, hey? it must be worth giving some time to if it's had that kind of effect on our world. Um, and so this morning we are starting a brand new series we're heading into the book of Jonah. Uh, I don't know if you've ever read Jonah before, but here's a few quick Jonah facts for you. Jonah is the 10th shortest book in the Bible. It's only 58 verses long, um, but it is packed full of richness and goodness. And Jonah himself, he was a prophet in the Old Testament. Basically, that means he was someone who heard from God and then passed messages on uh, to God's people to let them know what God was thinking, what he was asking, what he was doing. Um, and he lived around 770 BC, so 770 years before Jesus. Um, and uh, he appears a couple of times in the Bible, not just in the book of Jonah. He also appears in the book of two kings when he's given some advice to one of the kings of Israel. Um, and you need to know that when this was all happening, when Jonah's life was happening, the major concern for the people of Israel was the Assyrian Empire. They were growing, they were conquering, they were taking over all the land that they could get their hands on, and they were doing it in an incredibly violent and horrible way. And the capital city of Assyria was Nineveh. It was seen as like the biggest city in the ancient Near East. It was where everything was happening. It was the biggest place to be. And so that's the backdrop for where we're entering this story. Jonah is one of God's people under uh, the pressure that the Assyrians are putting on them. Um, and we begin there. So we're going to read Jonah chapter one, and we'll start at verse one. But I'm just going to pray before we read. God, we thank you for your word in the Bible. We thank you that every time we open the pages, we can anticipate your voice speaking to us, guiding us, encouraging us, um, shaking us, um, calling us into all that you have for us. And so we open our hearts, we open our eyes, we open our ears to see and hear and feel and know everything that you're doing this morning. Amen. So Jonah 1.1. 1, 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed to Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for the port. After paying the fare, he went aboard the ship and sailed to Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea. Such a violent storm grew against the ship and threatened to break it up. All the sailors were afraid and each cried out to God, to their own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he'll take notice of us so that we will not perish. And then I'll skip forward a couple of verses. They cast lots to work out who's responsible. Um, and it lands on Jonah. And it terrified, they ask him, what have you done? Knowing that they was running from the Lord because he'd already told them. 
the sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked, what should we do to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me in the sea, he replied. So they asked him, what should we do? Pick me up and throw me in the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it's my fault the great storm has come against you. They, instead, the men did their best to row back to the land, but they couldn't because the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you pleased. They took Jonah, threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. And I think this passage, I'd love to ask a question this morning. I want us to look this morning at how do we respond to God? What does that word respond say to you? What do you think of when I, when I say the word respond? Maybe for some of us, it's responding to a survey or a questionnaire. Others of us might be responding to an instruction. You might even think of first responders, you know, people like paramedics and police are first on the scene in an emergency, but a response needs an action. A response causes us to act. And so we're going to look this morning. Jonah responds to God in three different ways in this passage. Some of them more helpful than others. But my hope is that when we leave this passage today, we'll have a really clear sense of how do we respond to God. And we'll have a really uh, a more sharpened um, understanding of our own call that God's put on our lives. And so we're going to explore that today. And so the first thing that Jonah does as he runs, he makes a beeline for the door. He heads straight as far away as he can. God asks him to go to Nineveh and to preach against that city and to, to let them know that what they're doing is wrong and to call them back to the Lord. Uh, and Jonah says, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to run. And we can kind of understand it. Uh, Jonah, uh, Jonah the, one of the commentators that I read made it akin to, it was as if a, a Jewish person was walking into the center of Berlin during the Second World War and asking everyone to stop what they were doing and turn to the Lord. It, it was akin to that. These people were persecuting the Israelites on all sides. It was a dangerous, dangerous place to be if you were one of God's people. But part of the, the call from Jonah is that he wasn't really running out of fear, although maybe that was part of it, but also he disagreed with God. He didn't think the people in Nineveh deserved grace. He didn't think that they were worthy of being called back to God. He didn't want them to be saved because he thought they should be punished for all the atrocities that they'd carried out. Jonah thought that he knew best. And so he got on a boat and sailed for literally the other side of the world. Um, I have two children, maybe some of you have met them, but my daughter is a fierce, independent little girl and I absolutely love that about her. And often we encounter this argument about who knows best. Um, she always is hot. It doesn't matter where we take her, I could put her inside a freezer and she would still be claiming that she was hot. We would go out in the middle of winter, it would be freezing cold, it would be raining, it would be dark. We'd be out for maybe about a minute and she would turn to me and explain, Dad, I'm too hot, can I take my jacket off? And she just wants to take her jacket off in that moment because for her, what makes sense right in front of her is I'm hot, I want my jacket to be off. But for me as her parent, I'm privy to a bunch of other information. I know that the rain is on and that it's freezing cold and that the combination of cold and rain often leads to a cold and a snotty nose. I also know that she gets a little bit chesty when she gets a cold and we try and avoid her getting that at all costs because it's, it can become a difficult thing for her. I'm privy to all this other information that helps make that decision the bigger picture. But for her, she's hot and she wants her jacket off. And in this moment, 
Jonah thinks he knows best. He looks at the situation. He says, the people of Nineveh, they've been horrible, so they don't deserve grace. They've been horrible, so they don't deserve to come back to you, God. But actually, God sees this bigger picture. He's painting a bigger picture where the whole city returns to him. The whole city repents for their actions. The whole city has an opportunity to make it right with him where they were heading towards destruction. He's given an opportunity to walk towards life. I wonder if Jonah's first response resonates with some of us this morning. You see, it can be really easy, can't it, to get along with God and to do what he's asking us to do when it's easy and when it fits in with our own personal plans and our hopes and our dreams and when it makes sense for us. But it becomes quite a hard thing to do when God asks us to do something that doesn't quite make sense to us or when things aren't going the way that we hoped that we would go, when we experience loss or illness and hurt and pain, it becomes a harder thing to go and to go where God's calling us to go. Maybe sometimes for some of us that's looked like laying down a job that we really love. Maybe for some of us it's looked like giving away that Christmas bonus that we've been really, really longing for for a long time. But God never promises an easy journey for us. We look through the course of the Bible and very rarely do we see one of God's people having a very rosy, lovely time of life. You look at Jonah, he's called to go to the very center of the city of his enemies. You look at someone like Paul who experienced hardship left, right and center. He was put in prison, he was persecuted, he was tortured. Jesus himself lay his life down for us, gave his very life so that we could be free to enter into a relationship with the Father. He doesn't always promise that it's easy, but he promises it's worth it. And I just wonder this morning if responding to the call of God requires a bit of a perspective shift from us. Often when something hard comes up, our natural assumption can be that can't be of God, it's too difficult, or that door's closed so it can't be God, or uh, that's too painful so God must not be in it. I wonder if sometimes those moments that feel the hardest and the toughest are the moments where God's causing us to press in even more and to run towards them and towards him and not run away from it. Maybe God's calling us to be the kind of people who press into the hard moments to bring life into dead places, to bring fruit into barren lands, to bring light into the darkness. Maybe that's who he's calling us to be as his people. I wonder if for some of us this morning, the posture of running from God rings really true. Maybe we've been running for a couple of days. Maybe we've been running since the start of lockdown. Maybe we've been running for years now and we've just never quite found that way to turn around and just go back to him. And I guess when we're running from God, it, it causes an increased resistance because we're going against the grain of what we were created for. It's not where we were meant to be doing what we're supposed to be doing. I think the wonderful thing is this though, God didn't just let Jonah run. He pursued him fiercely. He followed him on his journey to the other side of the world where he could have just let him go and said, you know what, Jonah, go and do your own thing. Whatever you fancy, that's fine. But he goes after him. And the moment Jonah turns around, the moment he turns around, God's right there being like, are you ready? Are you ready to come back? Maybe for some of us this morning, we've been running for a while. And this morning's a moment to turn around and to look over your shoulder 
and just dare to believe that God could be there. Dare to believe that he does still love you. Dare to believe that his plan for you is still fully intact as it was the day you started running. He's waiting for you with open arms. Turn around and look for him this morning. So we can run. Jonah ran. What was his second response though? And it's kind of not much better than the first one is Jonah's second response. He gets on the ship and God sends this storm to, to catch up with him and to bring him back. And what does he do? We find him hiding below the deck of the ship. It says Jonah had, Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. And the captain said to him, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Jonah had done that classic burying your head in the sad thing. I've caused a big problem here. I'm just going to put my head down and hope that this passes me by sometime. And, and hopefully when I wake up, it'll all be gone and we'll be back to normal. Jonah's second response after running is to hide. Some storms in life land at our door and there's absolutely nothing we can do about it. Some storms in life land at our door and they are 100% our responsibility and our fault. And I'm sure we'll have all been in moments like that. We're in a moment like that just now, aren't we? There's a storm raging around us. We're in a global pandemic that none of us asked for or anticipated. But what is our response going to be? I loved, I read a survey this week um, by one of the money-saving websites um, and they surveyed people on how long it took them to respond to problems in their cars. And you may be surprised to hear that the average UK driver takes three weeks to respond to a problem in their car. So from the point where they realize something's wrong, it takes 19 days on average for a UK driver to take their car to a mechanic. 19 days of engines falling apart, brakes not working, handbrakes not quite going on, indicators not indicating. And I was really surprised by that until I realized I was that person before I married my wife, Sarah. She is far more responsible than me and has caused me to become a responsible person. But I used to run a car like that where I would let the brakes go right down to the very last minute and the tires go down to the point where they were barely legal. And when problems started, I was like, I'll fix it in a few days, it'll be fine. And it only ever got worse. I wonder if a similar thing's happening for Jonah here. The storm is raging all of the non-God-fearing fishermen are crying out to gods. They're doing everything they can to get the boat back on track. They recognize this is a supernatural storm. This isn't something of nature. This is out of our comprehension. I mean, if we're carrying on with the car analogy, it's like every warning light on the dashboard is on in one moment. And what's Jonah doing? He's sleeping below the deck. He's hiding from the storm. He's hoping it will pass by. Sometimes it's easier to hide than to confront the difficult truth. And I think we can all empathize with Jonah in that moment. We've all been in situations where we just want the problems of life to pass us by. We just want the storm to go around us. We just want uh, not to have to deal with the tough stuff. Here's the thing though, I don't think we were created to be problem avoiders. I think God called us to be problem solvers and problem pursuers and the kind of people who don't give up until justice has been given and peace has been brought 
<clears throat> and light comes into the darkness. With Jonah, though, he had to start his problem-solving journey by solving the problems inside himself. When he's hiding on the boat, he isn't hiding from the problem of the grace of Nineveh. He's hiding from his disconnect from God. He's ran. He's put a barricade up between him and the Father, and he's not quite sure how to bring it down. He's hiding because he knows fine well who's out on the sea bringing that storm. God's presence is surrounding the boat and he's afraid to show his face. And I wonder if for some of us this morning, we feel like we're hiding just now. We feel that disconnect from the Father. We feel that, that need to bury our head in the sand and just hope that something will fix itself. But the secret is, with all great problems, it takes a response. Hardly any problem in life is solved by ignoring it. <laughs> Maybe we haven't opened our Bible in a few days or weeks or months or years because we're worried about what those pages might ask us to do. Maybe we've opted out of praying because we're scared about what we might hear God say to us. Maybe we've stopped worshiping because it feels hypocritical knowing what else goes on in our heads and our hearts. Maybe for some of us we're hiding. But Jonah's story gives us hiders hope. He gives hope to the hider. Because even though he's ran, even though he's hiding, even though he's doing everything that he possibly can to avoid that moment where he has to be face to face with God, God is pursuing him ferociously. He sends this mighty storm after him. And here is the brilliant thing. Jonah was only one good decision away from making it right with God. He was only one good decision away from making it right with God. Even though he had this list of running and getting on a boat and jumping under the, the deck and hiding and pretending it all wasn't happening, one good decision brings him right back into his call, right back into the relationship with the Father again. How great is that? He doesn't have a massive to-do list to tick off. One good decision brought him back. And I wonder for those of us this morning who feel like we've been hiding, if we might not just be one good decision away from getting right back into relationship with Father God this morning. If we might not just be one sweet moment of saying sorry and stretching our arms out to our Father that brings us right back into the heart of things with him. Can I encourage you this morning, if, if that feels like a word for you, even just ask him just now, God, I'm so sorry I've been hiding. Please would you pick me up and put me back on track? Because as Jesus followers, we don't want to be hiding under the deck. We don't want to be hiding under the deck in the storm of racial injustice. We don't want to be hiding under the deck when the storm of poverty rages past. We don't want to be hiding under the deck when the storm of political hatred rises its head. We don't want to be hiding under the deck when isolation and mental health and cycles of crime roar around us. We want to be in the heart of it with God, hand in hand with him, pursuing the problems of the world and being light bringers and life givers to those who are struggling the most. We don't want to be hiding 
So we need to come out from under the deck and embrace our father afresh this morning. So Jonah ran and then Jonah hid. And then finally, Jonah does something brilliant. He surrenders. He gets up on the deck of the boat and redeems himself with these amazing words. Pick me up and throw me into the sea and it will become calm. I know that it's my fault that this storm has come against you. He has this almost clarifying moment where he sees the fear in the sailor's eyes. He sees that this ship is going down. These people are going to lose their lives. They are hurtling towards death at a thousand miles an hour. And he is the only one who can change that scenario. And in having that little clarifying moment on the boat, he gets this big picture reveal of what God's trying to do in Nineveh. It's a city of people who are hurtling towards death at a thousand miles an hour, not just a a death on earth, but an eternal death, an eternal separation from the God, the Father. And he is the only one who can do anything about it. Suddenly it all makes sense for him as the poor sailors who must have felt like they were skirting pretty close to murder by flinging them over the edge of the ship, throw them into the waves and the storm dies down immediately. This is their response to Jonah's moment of sacrifice and surrender. They greatly feared the Lord and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and they made vows to the Lord. They gave their lives to the Lord in that moment because in Jonah's surrender, they caught a glimpse of what it was to know Father God and they instantly had to surrender their own lives to him too. Jonah's moment of surrender allows them to instantly see God. The moment where they recognize Jonah's surrender isn't about him. It's where they see the Father probably for the very first time. I'm not a big basketball fan. Uh, I hadn't been until uh, The Last Dance came out on Netflix. I don't know if you've seen it. It's about Michael Jordan. I think most people in the world have seen it. For me, he was the guy from Space Jam. That was how I knew him before The Last Dance. That was his moment of fame for me as he starred alongside Bugs Bunny and Saving the Planet from Aliens. If you've not seen it, you must go and watch Space Jam. It is an absolute classic. Um, But it got me into basketball a little bit and I watched another documentary on Netflix recently called The The playbook and it studies uh, famous coaches over the years who had real moments of success and tries to unpick what made their teams or their their players so successful Um, and they did an interview recently with a guy called Doc Rivers who coached the Boston Celtics to their only championship in the last 30 years in 2008 and they asked him what how did you do that? They were massive underdogs at the start of the season. Nobody held out any hope for them. They'd been on a terrible losing streak. He'd almost lost his job several times beforehand. And he said, uh, we had this meeting at the start of the season where I explained this concept to my players and it's called Ubuntu. It's a Southern African um, philosophy. And basically the, the, the point of it is it translates to this. I am because you are. I am because you are. Basically, I can't be successful unless you're successful. It's about giving more than you take. And he explained this to his team at the start of the season. He's like, guys, you're going to have to put down some stuff. And basketball revolves around personal incentives and big financial contracts and sponsorship deals. And he sat all his players down at the start of the season. He said, guys, you're going to have to put all of those to the side and do everything you can for this team. 
And they did. They surrendered. They sacrificed. They gave all they had for each other. People who were on point scoring incentives from their sponsor deals were passing it at the right moment to make sure that somebody else got the points. It was an incredible season and they won the championship. They gave up all their own rights and their own needs to achieve the common goal of the team. Jonah had to be willing to die so that the sailors could experience real life. Not just saving their earthly lives, but bringing them into an eternal living hope with our Father God. He had to get to the point where his own agenda, his own preference, his own thoughts, his own feelings, his own hopes, his own dreams were fully surrendered to God. He had to let go of that tight, tight grip that he had on the things that he treasured the most and be able to hand them over lightly to God to be used as he wanted and not as Jonah wanted. He had to embrace his own death to see life spring up around him. And I wonder if for some of us, there might be some things in our lives this morning that also need to experience a death. Things that we need to fully surrender into Jesus' hands. Things that we need to release our really tight grip of, to learn to let go, to hold light-handed so that the people around us can experience life in the fullness as Jesus takes what we have to give and uses it in the most incredible ways. We want to be a people fully surrendered to God's call in our lives, fully laid down everything so he can use us and do with us everything that he needs to, to see his plans and purposes come to fruition. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 24 and 25, Jesus said this to the disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. And I think there's a real freedom in surrender. You know, some of those things that we cling tightest to, the things that we feel bring us safety and security and our identity, we cling so tight to. But if it isn't Jesus we're clinging to, then all we're doing is bonding ourselves really tightly to something that's only going to pull us away from the plans and purposes of God. Maybe a great question for us to ask God this morning is, God, is there anything that I'm clinging to tighter than I cling to you? And if the answer to that question is yes, then please, God, would you help me cling to you tighter? I wonder what might happen around us in our lives if we chose to fully embrace surrender, to place our hopes our dreams, our careers, our finances, our family, our friendships, our jobs into Jesus' hands and say, whatever you want, Jesus, that's what I want. Whatever you want is what I want. When Jonah did that, the sailors around him immediately were saved. And then I don't want to do too much of a spoiler alert for next week's episodes. But when you fast forward, when, he, when he's in the city of Nineveh, a whole city of people get saved because of this choice he makes to surrender. What might happen to us as a church if we all laid down our own personal preferences, came before the king and said, whatever I've got is yours. Wherever you want me to go, I'll go. Whatever you want me to do, I'll do. What kind of madness might ensue around us as people get to experience the Father through our personal surrender? Why don't we pray?
And Father God, we recognize this morning that you've put a call on each and every one of our lives. That you have a plan for us and that you love us more passionately and ferociously than we will ever know what to do with. And so as we think about how we respond to you this morning, God, would you help us to be a people surrendered to you? That all that we have and all that we are is laid down before you, Lord. God, would you call us into fresh adventures, fruitfulness, life, light bringing, fun, and the world around us. Amen. And hey, maybe you're watching this morning <clears throat> and it's maybe the first time you've ever tuned into church or maybe you've been watching for a few weeks and you're thinking, actually, I would love to surrender my life to Jesus. I recognize that me doing this on my own hasn't gone anywhere near the way that I hoped it would. <laughs> and I'm ready to give my life to him. And if that's you just now, I would love to help you to do that. I'm going to say a short prayer, and you can pray the words of this prayer after me. And it's basically surrendering your life to Jesus this morning, allowing him to be the king of your life. We'll do that just now. King Jesus, I want to make you king of my life. I want to know you and cling tighter to you than anyone else. So I'm really sorry for the times I've wandered from you, where I've run from you, where I've hid from you. And I wanna surrender my life fully to you now. Amen.